0: Tweet Adam at underscore Adam Crowley. Oh no, finish your tweet. It's not your thing. Just give us a second. There
1: you go. Hashtag it. This is the Adam Crowley Show on 970 ESPN. And now on 106.3 FM.
0: I cannot stop looking at bracketology. We are so close, baby! the best time of the year or if you're a West Virginia fan the worst time of the year or if you're a Pitt fan well you've long stopped caring about Pitt basketball so you'll just enjoy the tournament boy no one was at that game on Saturday against Louisville it looked like there were 500 people there it looked like the old Duquesne crowds just in a bigger stadium it's a shame TCU's probably gonna drub my Mountaineers tonight Jamie Dixon turned that team into an NCAA tournament team, and Kevin Stallings has turned what was an NCAA tournament team into the worst Power 5 team in college basketball. They're the only Power 5 team that hasn't won a conference game. They do have a shot, though, with BC coming up. They beat BC all the time. BC's lost 17 straight, or pardon me, 21 straight conference road games. And God knows the Pete will be rocking that night, baby. There might be more people there rooting for Boston College if they bring their managers and such. But I'm ready, baby. Ready for college basketball to really kick up. And I'm ready for my damn diet to be over. 18 days till I can drink a beer, not that I'm counting. Brian has already messed with me. If I drink a beer before March 1st, I have to get my nipple pierced. He circled the Kansas game this Saturday, and he said, Crowley, you're drinking beers that night. Yeah. I won't have to, because West Virginia's going to win. They're going to win. Nope. 4129 222874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. More hockey pack with my man Matt Gadchka from PittsburghHockeyNow.com coming up in 18 minutes here on the show. I'm interested in the trade deadline, too. This really is the best time of the year. Well, one of them. It's kind of like the foreplay for the best time of the year. Right? As February drones on, it's the shortest month, feels like the longest day in month. Maybe that's because I'm not eating or drinking anything that is good. But the weather starts to get a little bit better, or you get some days of nice weather and then days of terrible weather. But it's kind of a tease. It's foreplay. It's the lead-up to the trade deadline in hockey, and then subsequently the lead-up to the playoffs. It's the lead-up to the conference tournaments in college basketball and the lead-up to the NCAA tournament. Baseball season's right around the corner. Pirates, pitchers, and catchers reported today. Who gives a damn? I'm just happy Elias Diaz's mom was returned. Finally! Finally! The pirates get the better end of a trade. Wonder if it's they said even funny cash considerations. So this really is the foreplay month. No surprise. Two days from now, Valentine's Day. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. The Steelers promoted John Mitchell to assistant head coach. He had been assistant head coach and defensive line coach. Now, you might not think this is sexy. You might not think this is a Crowley Show topic. Typically, we talk about things that are not buried this deep within the minutia. But I've got to theory. I've got to hot take. And I want to know how you feel about this hot take. Because John Mitchell is a hard ass. He's been the Steelers' defensive line coach since I've been on this planet. Well close to it. He's been the defensive line coach since Tom's been on this planet. Tom, what year were you born in? Uh, 94. (laughs) John Mitchell was the Steelers' defensive line coach from 94 to 2006. He's been the assistant head coach and defensive line coach since 2007. Now he's just the assistant head coach. This, to me, has Art Rooney the Second's fingerprints all over this. I think Tom's going to like this take. This is a take-take. Not a typical Crowley Show take, but it's a take. Mr. Rooney's been supportive of Mike Tomlin as he's made the media rounds this last week or so. And I am too. Mike Tomlin's a very good head coach. He's coming off a 13-3 and season. But the distractions, while I don't think they were the primary reason for failure this year, doesn't mean that they can't be next year. Tomlin's a player's coach. Now he has suspended players in the past like Richard Mendenhall, Santonio San Holmes, Martavis Bryant. He's cut Blunt and Harrison, but I don't think many would consider Tomlin a disciplinary. He's not. A B can do whatever he wants, Le'Veon Bell can do whatever he wants. Joey Porter has had off the field issues with cops, and yet he's still unemployed, or still employed, pardon me? The list goes on and on and on. Mike Tomlin can't all of a sudden have an about-face and turn into somebody else in his 11th year of coaching. It would be insincere, and it would be ineffective. Enter John Mitchell, who's famous for breaking down the young players and building them from the ground up. I've been to many a Steelers practice where John Mitchell is the loudest and most critical man on the field, and some of those words can't be said on radio. By stripping away the D-line coach title, I think that gives John Mitchell the freedom To sink his teeth into players who aren't on the D-line. It allows him to be the bad cop to Tomlin's good cop. Mike Tomlin's a good meld, I think, of tough and a player's coach. Players wear pads in training camp. They have to work hard. But he gives star players more leeway. That can't change now. It can't. It would be phony. It would be desperate. John Mitchell, I wonder if he can be the guy to turn up the heat. I wonder if John Mitchell can be the guy who oversees some things. Tomlin doesn't deserve to be fired, but his recent playoff failures riddled with the poor decisions that he made in the Jacksonville game need to be checked. I think John Mitchell ditching the role of D-line coach means he'll have more of a say things that Tomlin would have done after only consulting himself may be done now after consulting Mitch who's to say that's the case not me but it's a working theory and it certainly makes sense John Mitchell was promoted if you will because Mike Tomlin needs a sounding board it's not an indictment on Tomlin it's praise for Mitch and I think it's going to help the Steelers get better I think that's at least the idea four one two nine two 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 eight seven four tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley mr. Richard next up here on the Crowley show hello mr. Richard
2: hello there I think that uh, they should use me as a poster boy for the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, when it comes to protesting well I'm not protesting but I haven't been on pirate game for many 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 years and therefore if people were just like me then uh, he would probably Bob Le would get players if nobody shows up like I do. Uh, I haven't been. Like I said, I haven't been to a game in many, many years, and I could care less about going. So, But I still believe when the home opener comes around, uh, you'll probably be there. Nope. You won't be there.
0: I will not. What the hell are you even talking about, though, Mr. Richard? We were talking about the Steelers.
2: You were then, but you were talking about the Pirates before that.
0: I was talking about Blue Balls. Blue Balls? Yeah. You ever heard of them?
2: No, but I think that might be something I have because I have uh, lymphedema in my scrotum. I, I never looked to see if they were blue balls, but uh, I got a problem with it. Good luck it with might... your
0: fight, Mister Richard. Goodbye. <sighs> what are we gonna do with him? Is lymphedema cancer? I don't know what that is. It can't be good. Anything that has to do with your testicles, they're rarely good. Although there's one thing that is very good. It's kind of like a sneeze, only better. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Zachary does. He says, finally, someone who sees it correctly. Mitchell promoted to crack the whip where Tomlin won't and monitor Tomlin in stadium crisis time decision making. Art Rooney II has had enough. They're not going to fire Mike Tom because they know he's a good coach. But, you do want things to improve. You can't continue to allow the same things to derail seasons time after time after time. The Steelers have had distractions recently. They haven't been buttoned up in terms of their details in games against lesser foes. These are all things that need to be checked. These are all things that the Steelers need to improve upon. So, I think that's why Mitch was promoted. Mike Tomlin did not coach a good game against Jacksonville. In fact, it was a travesty. Now, just because you don't coach well in one game doesn't mean that you're a bad coach. It means you had a bad day. If Ben Roethlisberger throws five picks, it's a bad game. doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. But if Ben Roethlisberger consistently throws five interceptions or a handful of times a year throws five interceptions, you got to do something to beat it out of him. Now, Mitch isn't going to have the final say, but this does give him an opportunity to not just be hard on the defensive line, but it gives him a line to be hard on other players on the team. I think this is a great move, because it's not a demotion for Mike Tomlin. It doesn't do anything to hurt his psyche. But there's another guy who can... Smack a player in the back of the head when he's acting a fool. Mike Tomlin's biggest pro is his confidence. But I also think it can be his biggest weakness. Mike Tomlin's very good at motivating men. Mike Tomlin has bravado. Mike Tomlin is confidence, Borderline cocky. And that seeps through to his players. But there's an arrogance to Mike Tomlin that I think needs to be checked. And I think that Mike Mitchell can help that out. And by Mike Mitchell, I mean John Mitchell. Because Mike Mitchell's gots to go. What really pissed me off is the press conference on Tuesday following the season. And Mike Tom was asked about the onside kick. And he basically doubled down on it saying, That's what I needed to do. That was the best chance for us to win. And I disagree wholeheartedly that that gave the Steelers the best chance to win. I don't think it was the best decision. And clearly it wasn't because it lost them the game. Mike Tomlin can acknowledge that not everything he does in-game was the right decision to make at that time. Mike Tomlin always acts as if the decision that he made was the thing that gave the Steelers the best chance to win. Well, sometimes the results have to tell you whether or not that was actually the case. And I'm not typically an armchair quarterback. I'm not typically somebody who second guesses coaching decisions. I've never been a big play call guy. I've never been a big guy who likes to criticize a defensive assignment on a given play. That's not who I am. But Mike Tomlin far too often thinks his decisions are foolproof. He reminds me a lot of Dan Bilesman in that regard. Dan Bilesma was a really good coach. People don't remember remember him as that, but he was a good coach. Mike Tomlin's a good coach. Dan Bilesma, though, never had a plan B. Dan Bilesma expected to do things his way, and that was going to be the way that they won. Grind these bitches down. That's what he said. They used the stretch pass ad nauseum. And if the stretch pass got taken away, they continued to do the same thing. He's just a stretch pass into the trap all the damn time. And after the game, he said, well, we just need to do it better. Mike Tomlin thinks that whatever he thinks is the right decision, they've just got to do it better. No, trust the process, and hopefully Mitch can help him there. I think that's why this move was made. That might be my hottest take of the day. A little early on this show. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Coming up at five forty. There are some things that make me. Physically ill watching the Olympics that I must discuss. Coming up next, Matt Geica of PittsburghHockeyNow.com and PiratesProspects.com will jump on the program to talk about the Penguins at the trade deadline and what have the Penguins been doing that's made them so successfully in 2018. Tom keeps making faces at me. Give me the heebie-jeebies. Coming up next, Geica Crowley Show. iHeart is so cheap. I can really just end the sentence there iHeart is so cheap. Now, iHeart is so cheap that we get these two beautiful studios that have just been rebuilt, and the producer's studio's got the TV. And I'm in here looking at the damn sunset. They're watching curling in there. And I'm watching a black screen. Why can't I watch curling? I'm turning into a diva. Matt Geica's got diva hair. Geica, how are you today? He joins (laughs) me, Pittsburgh Hockey Now and PiratesProspects.com. What's up, dude?
1: Hey, uh, well, that was quite the segue. I appreciate the the plug for my one diva quality. <laughs> it's been going well. Good to talk to you again. It's been a long time, hasn't it?
0: It has been a while, dude. Can I ask you a weird question? Actually, I'm not going to ask you if I can ask you. I'm just going to ask you. When you were yeah. in school, what did substitute teachers call you? Gajka?
1: Um. Well, I, I grew up in a small town in weird in Weirton, West Virginia, and everyone knew how to say my name, so it wasn't an issue at all.
0: Oh, everyone knew you. That's a diva thing to say. Matt Gadzka <laughs> joining me here uh, on the Crowley show. You wrote for PittsburghHockeyNow.com about Jake Gensel and Connor Sherry kind of heading in different directions. Jake Gensel now on the fourth line. What's going on with him and why are these guys going a different direction?
1: It's not to say that Connor Sherry is tearing it up or anything, but it is instructive just to watch their usage, and that's how you can get a pretty good idea of of where players stand on on coaches' hierarchies. And and Jake Gensel had not been in a situation like we saw yesterday against the Blues. Really, a, a good game from a lot of players, but not him, and he ended up sitting for the last seventeen minutes or so. And. I think the Penguins, well, I know the Penguins have been disappointed in in Jake at even strength. He's been really productive on the power play, and we've even seen him recently in front of the net and uh, hanging out in the the Patrick Hornquist Memorial spot as as he rehabs and everything. But they tried him at center a couple of times this year, and I know they didn't really like him at center necessarily, but they gave him two shots at it, and even though they won all four games that he played at center last month, they still took him out of there, so... That that tells you where they stand on that. Uh, They haven't been fans of his defensive work. You can just tell whenever he's been paired with Crosby, it hasn't lasted long because maybe he's getting a little too caught up in trying to generate offense with number 87. And as for for Sherry, it's almost like he is what he is at this point. We have at least one more season um, of, of sample size at the NHL level for him compared to Gensel. And he might be just one of those players that you move around from first line to second line to third line and he can adapt his game. And the one thing that Sherry has going for him more consistently than Gensel, and I wrote about this in the column that you referenced, is that Sherry more consistently adds turnovers on the forward check. He disrupts things, and he's able to um, at least make life difficult for the opposing team and coming out of their zone. And I'm not sure Gensel is quite there yet. And it could just be an experience thing. It could be uh, Sherry's been scratching the playoffs. He's been scratching some big games. Maybe some harder-to-learned lessons there. I don't know what's what's coming up next for Gensel, but he's not on uh, the kind of trajectory the Penguins would like to see.
0: What's the best-case scenario, do you think, for the Penguins at the deadline? Give me names!
1: (laughs) Best case, probably someone that we heard um, talked about on uh, Hockey Night in Canada from Bob McKenzie, too, of TSN. Derek Broussard of the, the Ottawa Senators would be a really nice third-line center for the Penguins. That would be a luxury for a lot of teams. And, well, having two centers the way the Penguins do is a luxury for every team but them. But uh, that would be a player that wouldn't just be a rental. He would be someone who could help you in future seasons. And, Adam, I'm not as gung-ho on loading up for this year as some people are out there. I think if they make a a significant move or trade a significant piece of the puzzle to, uh, to try to improve down the middle then they should make sure this person has uh, has some contract years ahead of them because uh, the Penguins are still going to be Stanley Cup contenders next year and, I believe, in, in 2019-20 as well. And then after that, I, I suppose we'll see how well Crosby and Malkin hold up. But um, I, I would not, with two Stanley Cups in the bank in the last two years, I would not be so desperate that I would uh, make a rash move. So – that's my feeling on it, and, and Broussard makes $5 million a year. He's under control for the next couple of seasons. Um, if the Senators are going to sell, I think that's the type of guy they go after. Now, if you want to talk wing, there's someone who's relatively inexpensive on the Rangers, Michael Grabner. Who yes! Really fits their, their fast-paced style of play, and he's a pretty decent finisher, too, better than, uh, better than Carl Hagelin in that way.
0: And he can actually put the puck in an empty net, which is something that the Penguins <laughs> haven't had. Not that you bring a guy in looking for that, but it certainly would help. Matt Geica of PittsburghHockeyNow.com and PiratesProspects.com joining me here on the Crowley show. I like the Grabner route because I, like you, don't think the Penguins need to give up resources off of this current club to compete this year. I would actually go for rental guys and yeah, maybe lose a draft pick, but it'd be a late round draft pick and I suppose that does affect future years for the Penguins, but Maybe not future years whenever you've got Crosby and Malkin in their prime. Anyhow, so I would want Grabner, uh, a guy that you could give up maybe a first-round pick and get, and then go for a guy like Latestu or Cullen and put him on your fourth line. I think Riley Shea has been more than serviceable as your third-line center.
1: Sheehan's development is part of my calculus on this one, too. And just the way they've been playing in the last six weeks, they look like the champs again. They don't look completely dominant every night, but they are tilting the ice and they're getting big production as a result from their star players. I think there's some chicken in the egg there. The team overall is, is helping to lift them as they lift the team. And uh, just really since the calendar page turned, it's been a different type of team. And that's why I say I don't think they need a huge help. And, and Riley and playing better, perhaps you just say, we need another center of the caliber of him or even a little bit below and, uh, and then you load up on the top two lines accordingly. And, and then there's also, like we talked about, Grabner, there's Evander Kane out there. I'm not sure how much he would take to pull in because he's rather cold and he only has a couple of months left before his contract runs out. Defense, I'm okay with what they have right now because Ian Cole's playing better. He and Jamie Alexiak appear to have a good thing going. Matt Murray's starting to play better. So, so many things are, are pointing upward. And for me, coming off back to back championships, um, this feels like a, a gravy type of season, you know, the, uh, the icing on the cake type of a season for the Penguins. And, um, uh, if I were Jim Rutherford, I would worry more about just making sure that they're in a position to compete for this season, but also the next say two years as well.
0: Matt, if they didn't do anything, could they win the Stanley cup this year?
1: Do they win it? I still like Tampa better than them. And I might even like Boston better than them too. It's really funny. God,
0: would that be annoying?
1: Uh, it would be. It would be. They, they really deserve another championship there in Massachusetts, yeah. I think. That's just my They've been opinion.
0: starved up there.
1: <laughs> but it's odd because we thought the Metro might be the, the power division in the East. And if you look at it from an average point perspective, yeah, all those teams could beat you on a given night. But the Atlantic has some, some weaker teams at the bottom. However, at the top you have Tampa and Boston, who I think uh, could have a pretty good case for being uh, you know, two of the top four teams in the NHL right now. So the Metro might actually be the easier part of the playoffs as compared to what we what we perceived to be the case a, a little bit ago. And, and then out West, of course, if you're talking Stanley Cup final, I love Vegas. Uh, they they play a penguin style of hockey just full octane full throttle. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets are terrific. I love the Dallas Stars too. So uh, some teams the penguins have played recently in the in the Stars and the Knights um, wouldn 't surprise me if, if they were right there at the end what 's your
0: take on Philly matt because they 're right up the penguin 's backside right now in the standings
1: <laughs> they are they 're quite erratic it 's funny because they what were uh, losers of ten in a row they picked up a couple of points in that stretch in overtime and shootouts but I think um, I was guilty of just writing them off and uh, and saying that well i guess we 'll see the flyers in two thousand eighteen nineteen because there is some talent there and I've seen them in person a couple of times this year, and, uh, well, they have some exciting players. They have uh, Shane Gossespierre and Ivan Provorov on the blue line. They have uh, Roux still a, a decent enough player. He's putting up more points this year. So is Jakub Voracek. Goaltending always the question mark in Philadelphia, but they do a lot of good things, and, and uh, they defend relatively well for a team that has a lot of youth on the defense core. I don't know if they're a contender this year, but they could give someone a nice first-round series, I think. They're definitely in a position to do that and maybe even pick up a a playoff series win ahead of schedule.
0: Yeah, That's a possibility it would be against Pittsburgh, and that's something we haven't seen over the last couple of years. The Penguins have won the Stanley Cup the last two years, but they didn't have to do so by beating Philadelphia. That's That's a series I'd like to watch because it's been a while since the Penguins have beat up on those guys.
1: And the last time they got together, of course, it was the wildest series any of us has ever seen, (laughs) at least in the context of I blocked
0: that out. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) If it happened in the 1980s or the 70s, it would have fit in better. But just from pure theater, I know that was a very popular series for hockey fans to watch. I I think the Penguins would out-savvy the the young Flyers in this case, kind of like what they did to the Blue Jackets, in fact, last year. The Flyers might get running around a little excited in their first Matchup, but you're right. That would be the uh, the first round series with the Penguins having home ice as the two seed in the Metro. The problem is with the Metro. The standings change drastically every week. It's really tough to project anything beyond it is. say Caps and Penguins at one two, which I would be pretty uh, I would be pretty safe. I, I'd feel pretty safe in saying those are going to be the top two spots.
0: Brian Rust has been a stud since he's been back from injury. Uh, There are a couple of guys on this roster that are truly untouchable, but that's a guy that you need to have on your hockey club. What does he do that makes him so valuable to what the Penguins do?
1: Well, I was talking about Sherry being able to aid the forward check. That goal that that Russ created, the breakaway goal, it was created out of hard work and a good, smart read. He's a smart hockey player, and he doesn't try to do anything that's outside of his ability level, which you can't quite say the same for for Connor Sherry, and maybe Jake Gensel. So he has a better idea of the limits of his abilities. But, number one, he brings the foot speed, Adam. you got to have that if you're going to play wing for the Penguins, for the most part. There, are, there have been some exceptions, and we'll see how someone like Zach aston reese who's average at best with his wheels, how he can fit in with this team into the future. Uh, but Russ is your, your prototypical type of a Mike Sullivan winger in the way that he goes up and down the wing hard and uh, has a great concept of his own zone. Can clean it up and, and he's the type of, of guy that you throw just area passes to. You throw it into the corner. It may look like a dump in, but it's really just uh, a basic dish to a, to a player that you're very confident is going to win the race to the puck. And we've seen it in the playoffs too. He's a very direct player. He'll just take it right to the net. He's not quite as, uh, not quite as, I don't want to call him selfish, but when he first came up, he would get the puck and he would never pass it. He would just jam it right to the front of the net. He's getting a little more confident in making plays. But overall, he's maintained that directness that makes him a good fit for the Penguins and also for the way the league is going. There's just so little time to make plays, and uh, with the way he can move his feet, it gives himself a a little bit more time than most.
0: We talked a little bit earlier about the defense core. Man, coming into the season, I was worried about the Penguins' defense. I didn't know how Hunwick was going to fit in, and he just worried about Chris Letang well, I think very highly now of the Penguins' defense core. And Cole has to remain in the lineup. Uh, he's a really good hockey player. And Jamie Alexiak has been staggeringly impressive, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, Alexiak added an element the Penguins didn't have in the size. Very few teams have a six-seven defenseman to go to. You saw one in, in Colton Pareko for the Blues if you watched the game yesterday, and. What a difference that makes. And whenever the Penguins have played the Bruins, you always have your eye on which side of the ice is Chara on. That's been a, a consideration, too. So he adds that. He's a good enough skater to keep up. And um, when the Penguins are down or when they need some uh, some juice on the offensive end, you'll notice Alexiak is very comfortable going down the wall, getting involved. Yeah. And, and that's what Mike Sullivan was looking for, uh, and is looking for continually from his defensemen. Now, the Matt Hunwick signing, that's looking like a whiff at this moment. And, um, I know technically he's injured, but even if he were completely healthy at the moment, I don't see how you'd get him in there ahead of Ian Cole or, or Jamie Alexiak. So it's um, looking like a, a seven or $8 million mistake right now for Jim Rutherford. He thought that with Hunwick's skating ability, he would be able to, to slide right in there. But uh, it's been really um, – well, it has to be discouraging for the Penguins to see the way that he struggled to defend off the rush. Just uh, basic things. He, he keeps a good gap. He doesn't give forward that much room, but he's been beaten with uh, with wingers and centers going right through him on the way to the net. So he's got to get a little bit harder on that stick and uh, and figure out a way to uh, clean out the front of the net as well because he's been left standing around with uh, so many of those even-strength goals that have gone in for the Penguins this year against them.
0: Matt Murray yesterday played like the Matt Murray the Penguins are going to need if they don't make moves uh, to bolster their roster, they're going to need him to be at the top of his game. I thought he was fabulous yesterday.
1: Really good on the trip, and don't uh, factor out a, a couple of those saves they made in the third period. There were some scrambles uh, against the uh, the stars. I mean, on Friday night when the stars had the one goal lead, could have put that one out of reach, they and could've. then Justin Schultz ties it up late. So, at the very least, they pick up a point there. Yesterday, he was just—it was a very Matt Murray game. He was in position facing some. Wacky deflections, a whole bunch of screens. That's a big-bodied Blues team that likes to funnel pucks to the front of the net. They get plenty of shots through from the point. It's a talented defense core, so uh, they let those guys fire away. It wasn't a high-volume game by any means. I don't think the Blues got over 30 shots, and neither did the Penguins. So a little bit slower paced in that way. Uh, but he was in those, those right spots. He made a couple of flashy saves, but when he's at his best, he's just going to have the puck hit him. He's that type of a positional goaltender first and foremost. And that's what goaltending is more than anything these days. It's, it's more of a science than an art form. You watch someone like Marc-Andre Fleury play, and you realize there's still room for the art side of it. But uh, overall, uh, the, the scientists are winning when it comes to, uh, to goaltenders in the NHL. And, and with all that Matt Murray has, has dealt with this year, now that we understand uh, what he had to, to think about when he was away from the rink with his father and, and all that went on there, I think we can give him a pass on the first part of the season and if he just rounds it into form for the end of the year then the penguins are exactly where they want to be at the goaltending position
0: matt i know that you uh it took you a long time to find a job man so i i was praying for you the whole time i was really worried about you uh happy to see you found a place at pittsburgh hockey and as the owner now yes yeah how
1: about that co-owner well uh, I have to give it up to the gracious Dan Kingersky for letting me under the, the PHN umbrella. I admire what he was doing from afar, and now I will try not to screw it up too much from within. First time owning something like this, though, so the pressure's really on, in my opinion.
0: Kingerski texted me the other day, and I forgot to text him back, and now I just remember that, and I feel really bad. So go go pass on to Kingersky that I feel bad, or maybe I'll just text him after this.
1: Oh, I know he's feeling the slight, so I'll, I'll try to alleviate that for you. Thanks, oh, Adam, no. good times as always. Thanks,
0: buddy. Appreciate it. Matt Geica, PittsburghHockeyNow.com, PiratesProspects.com. God, I think pitchers and catchers are so damn overrated. Oh, the pitchers and catchers are here, baby! Woo! This is great! This is awesome! Well, I'm not in Florida sunbathing. I just shovel my damn sidewalk today, and I don't get to watch them do anything. The hell do I care? Spring training's fine because it means baseball's around the corner. But pitchers and catchers, I don't care. I do love the Olympics. And there are two sports that I know that I would die trying. I'll tell you what they are. There's at least, actually, I should say, there are at least two sports that I know I would die trying. I'll tell you what those are. Next, it's the Crowley Show. I turned off all the lights in my studio so that I could see curling in the next room because we don't have two working cable boxes in this damn place. That's right. I'm going to be a diva. I'm a sports host. i got to be able to tell people what's going on in the curling match. What's the score there? we got the Olympic athletes of Russia. They got two. And we got Switzerland with three. I thought the Swiss would just tie every time. Good joke, Crowley. 4129222874 is the number. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Back to the Olympics in a few moments here, but I was talking to Tom during the break and he'll be making a trip to the NFL combine for the first time this year. I've gone each of the last three years. Last year, things got a little dicey. Maybe the reason I'm not going this year. That's actually not true. I'm not going because I've got this highly rated, successful afternoon drive show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Tom has to know that if there's a locked door, don't go into it. Because I made that mistake. See, Indianapolis is effing cold. When you think of cold cities, I don't think you really think of Indianapolis because nobody... They're sitting around thinking of Indianapolis. If you go to Chicago, you expect it to be cold, and people actually want to go to Chicago. Indiana is the lamest state in the country. It's just flat. There's nothing there. Indianapolis, a pretty nice town. Pretty nice town. It's a good convention town. They can host big events. College Basketball Hall of Fame right there. NCAA's right there. It's a badass town. But it's windy as all get out, and it's freezing. So what they do to buoy that, what they do to combat that, is they keep pretty much everything inside. So you can go to every part of town, for the most part, through these tunnels. Now, Minnesota's like that even more so. Uh, Minneapolis, you can literally get everywhere underground or through these tunnels. In Indianapolis, you can get everywhere downtown within these tunnels. So I'm walking home with... One of my friends from Steelers TV, and my buddy Dale, you know Dale, from DKPittsburghSports.com and the Steelers Radio Network, and we're inebriated. Not that drunk, but inebriated. Dale probably more drunk than the rest of us. And I was freezing. My nose was going to fall off. My ears were going to fall off. I was going to become a victim of frostbite, maybe hypothermia. I was going to die. So we tried to walk through the tunnel inside, and we opened a door that we weren't supposed to open. Those sliding glass doors, if you put your fingers between them and then try to pry them apart, they'll actually just start going apart. They're funny that way. It was a mall inside, and we had to get through that mall inside to get to our hotel. So I opened the door, and it opened, and I thought, okay, well, if it opened, then that means it was supposed to open. Next thing you know, this alarm starts going off as my buddy from Steelers TV, Dale, and I are running through the inside of this giant gerbil maze, basically, this giant hamster town. There's flashing lights, so we get the hell out. We get, go through a parking garage. We wind up pop it back outside where it was two degrees, and I thought I was going to die of hypothermia. When we look back up, my buddy goes, oh! there's someone in there. No big deal. We could have been up there. And then two more people joined them. And those people had flashlights. And those people were cops. Because we weren't supposed to be in there. That would have been pretty bad. Adam Crowley of ESPN Pittsburgh, along with Dale Lolly, get arrested in Indianapolis. Don't think we would have broadcasted the next day. Doubt that I'd be broadcasting right now. Dicey situation. Hopefully, my man Tom comes back with Similar stories of hijinks. We also attend a place called the Slippery Noodle. or We frequent a place, I, sh- I suppose I should say, called the Slippery Noodle, which sounds like... Well, it sounds like a brothel. It is not. Your noodle does not, in fact, get slippery. But you do drink a lot of alcohol and listen to blues. What's up, Tom? Uh, we compiled a list of 10 states that we think are much worse than Indiana. Shoot. Nebraska, the Dakotas, Utah, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Iowa, Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. I accept your list. Thank you. Good luck at Indianapolis. You're going to love it. 412 922 2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. I appreciate you being a friend. And leaving West Virginia off the list, even though you wanted to add West Virginia to the list, I'm sure. I honestly didn't even think about it. It's wild be- and wonderful down there, man. It is wild and wonderful. Beautiful, really. If you don't go into any of the towns. <laughs> just, just, just look at the trees. Just look at the, the big old mountains. Don't descend into Fairmont. Don't descend. If you go so- south of Fairmont, you're going to die. Probably not going to live. My wife and I, we'll get to the Olympics in a few moments here. My wife and I, when we were getting our dog, we had to go all the way to Tennessee to do that. Pick up our dog at a rescue because her friend knew somebody who had a border collie rescue. You don't care. But we stayed in Beckley, West Virginia. It was called a microtel. And we rode an elevator with a shirtless fat guy who was wearing flip-flops and his toenails, bleep you not, were probably 18 inches long. Some Ripley's, believe it or not, BS, man. But I love West Virginia, so they're not going on my list. 4129-222874, Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. I can't stand people who complain about the Olympics being on TV. I can't get enough Olympics. I can't get enough sports. I can't get enough drama in sports. In the Olympics, that's as dramatic as you get. You hear the commentators for the figure skating? They are critical. What is that outfit? She's not going to win with that. Wow, she trained for the last four years to do that? They are brutal. It's drama. Everyone has put the last almost half decade or more of their lives into this. And it can all be gone in the flash of a blink or, that's right, flash of a blink, I made that up, or they can achieve their wildest dreams and that emotion is incredibly appealing to me. My wife hates how much sports are on TV, but it could be incarnate word against some awful basketball team like Pitt, now watch the last two minutes if it's close. I'll watch the NBA if it's close. I'll watch Premier League soccer, NHL, anything. I'm the guy who wants more bowl games because I want to be able to pick and choose from more sports. That's why I love the Olympics. Every four years, I get to watch people compete for their dream. That is great sports theater. And with the amateur hockey players, I'm just as likely to watch as I would be if the NHL players were there. Hashtag give me more sports, baby. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tom, I'm now going to ask you to compile a list of the top three sports you think you would die doing in the Olympics if you had to try. Because for me, the list goes like this. Is it alpine skiing where they do the giant leaps? Or is that just called... I think it's just called the ski jump. Just called the ski jump? Yeah, I would die doing that. I think most people listening would die doing that. The way that they drop you in... It's a 90-degree angle. Why would anybody do that shiz? That, to me, is one of the most amazing things to watch because when they come off, they're going however fast they're going. They're they're so close to death. They are closer to death than we've ever been in our entire lives, jumping off that thing. So that one would kill me. I think that the mogul would kill me because I think I'd blow out my knee, and I'm a big priss, so I feel like I'd cry myself to death. And this one would definitely kill me. The cross-country skiing. Where you gotta drag yourself. That's the one everyone thinks they can do. Do you have any idea how much cardio is involved in that? If you had to do that, you would die. Tom, Tom's looking at me like he wouldn't die. Tom, you would die. I'm not saying I wouldn't die at that, but you missed the most, like the biggest sport that you would die in. I feel like the long jump's the biggest one you die in. The luge, bro. I feel like I just wouldn't go that fast. People have died in the luge. I know that, but they know what they're doing, and they're trying to be precise. I would just stay right in the middle of that thing. I think you're more likely to die if you do that. Yeah, luge would kill me. Tom, you've convinced me of two things today. One, that there are 10 states better, or pardon me, worse than Indiana. And you convinced me that I would die luge I've almost died... Uh, sled riding anyhow. So <laughs> I I imagine that I would not survive the luge. That is nuts. They're riding on steel. That if it flips over, it'll slice your arm right off. They're going 83 miles an hour. And boy, do those suits not leave much to the imagination. I know what every single Olympic losers junk looks like. Every one of them Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. That's a segment we can get away with on the Crowley Show. Probably not so much if I was filling in for Matt. Coming up next: Why I'm rooting for Phil Kessel to win the scoring title, and why the Penguins finally have damn leverage when it comes to acquiring a third line center.
2: It's a Crowley Show.